Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 3-285 of the Run, Run, Live podcast. I had to stop by CVS on my run just now to get some new batteries for my H2 microphone. It ran out of juice, and, you know, you always have batteries where you don't need them. I got a whole bunch at home, and I got none here at work. If I need them at home, I'd have a whole bunch here at work, and you wouldn't have any at home, right? That's how it works? Well, anyhow, it's been a relatively boring couple of weeks since I... Last chatted with you, I haven't run any races or done anything particularly stupid. Since the Umstead Marathon, I've been focused on getting less fragile. Umstead was a bit of a wake-up call for me, fitness-wise. It wasn't horrible, but it was certainly more show-up-and-suffer than I like to do. But out of disillusionment springs commitment and focus, hopefully. I may not be able to train as hard as I'd like, but there's no reason I should be just sitting around and let myself go to pot. The week after Umstead, I was traveling, but I managed to do a few core workouts and spend some time on the stationary bike. I sat down and wrote out a plan to take me through Boston that focuses on getting less fragile. My ankle is still a bit sore, so I can't do any speed work, and I'm a bit overweight, but I think I can coax out three runs a week. And that's what I've been doing, and that's what I'm going to try to do through to Boston. I did a 13-miler with some of my club buddies one Sunday after Umstead, and the last three miles were a bit of a struggle. I wasn't recovered yet, but I've been sticking with it. I'm feeling okay. I got a cold now. For my plan, I want to get seven days a week in for workouts, and Sunday's a long run. Monday's a core workout with a focus on abs and upper body. Tuesday is a mid-distance run of an hour or so, hour plus. Wednesday is a leg strength workout. Thursday is a slightly longer mid-distance run of an hour and 30 or so. Friday is an hour plus of cycling with some push-ups and crunches thrown in. And Saturday is a swim. That's a nice mix of activity that won't get me in qualifying marathon shape, but will burn some calories and hopefully get me much less fragile by the time Boston rolls around. And on top of this, I'm trying to stretch. My visits with uh, Eric Derrico and the chiropractor and the doctor, they all pointed out that I need to get some mobility into my life. My hamstrings, my quads, my psoas, they're all super constricted and they're contributing to my injuries, right? So I've been swimming. On Saturdays, I go down to the pool and I swim. And the first swim was really interesting. I haven't been in the pool for like over a year. And I started with just a 500-meter swim. And it felt like I had never swum before in my life. You know, working in some biking is very complimentary as well. But I'd I'd much rather do that outside. The bike at the gym just causes my undercarriage to fall asleep, and it's it's quite uncomfortable. But unfortunately, it's still cold and snowy here. We're mid-March, and the morning temps are still in the teens, and there's still a couple feet of snow on the ground. My kids came home from college, like I said, uh, and blessed me with this cold. 
And it's not bad enough to chase me into bed, but it is enough to make me feel crappy and struggle with everything, both mentally and physically. I've got a temperature and a, you know, a stuff up nose and, and, uh, it's right, it's at that point where if you do something stupid, it'll turn into pneumonia, but if you, if you're nice to yourself and sleep in, uh, it'll get better. I've got a busy March in April, uh, with a bunch of travel, Boston Marathon, Groton Road Race. So I'm just trying to get healthy. For those of you who still get Runner's World magazine, you may have noticed that the Groton Road Race was featured in the Races and Places section of the March issue. So I guess we're in the big show now. We'll see if it causes a bump in registration. I tried last Sunday to go for a long run, but made it to the end of my road and decided that I couldn't do it. With the head cold and the frigid weather and the dicey ankle, I just, I couldn't bring myself to go out for three hours in the, in the, in the wild roads of Littleton, Massachusetts. So instead I went over to the pool and did a long pool run. And once I got started, I felt really okay. And it was very peaceful in the pool on Sunday. So I just kept going and I ended up pool running for three hours. And I listened to a podcast on the history of the Crusades. I like doing that. I like queuing up a history podcast and binge listening to them. Listen right through. It gives you a good continuous story of events and a good story arc. And, you know, people have been acted stupidly for the entire arc of history, and they still are today. We like to think that we can choose strong men and women to fix our problems, but that's just another form of entitlement. We're the only ones who can fix our problems. It starts with us, you and I. The common men and women of this world are the ones who are in charge. And we're blessed with the opportunity, and we are cursed with the responsibility of pulling continuously against the drag of stupidness and away from the brink. So do something that changes the world for the better today, because it starts with you. Today we chat with Akshay Nanavadi about lots of interesting stuff, including his project to run across every country in the world. In Section 1, we'll talk about the importance of white space in your life. And in Section 2, we'll talk about the optimization of food and time. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. The importance of white space in your life. It can't all be task-based. In our busy professional and personal lives, we sometimes ask the wrong questions. We ask repeatedly, how can I do more? How can I get more done? And we are constantly trying to cram more stuff into our limited time. There's a time for this, and it is a modern necessity, but we need to create white space as well. And what is white space? It is time that is ours. It is time that allows us to recharge our batteries with no accomplishment quota. If you're a person that gets compensated on the quality of your work, you especially need to make room for white space in your life. One of Covey's seven habits of highly successful people is taking the time to sharpen your saw. You just can't continuously run at 100% capacity and expect to be engaged, effective, or creative. Eventually, you get to the point where you're brain dead, you're worn down. You show up for engagements, but you don't add any value because your intellect has been filed blunt by activity. Covey said that all successful people 
take time off to sharpen their saw. The story here is that the woodcutter who takes time to sharpen his saw will cut more wood than the woodcutter who works harder and longer with a dull saw. And being an avid woodcutter, I can attest to this, working with a dull saw is not only ineffective, it's dangerous as well. This is the intended purpose of vacation as well, right? Workers set aside a couple of weeks out of the year to relax, and they come back to work refreshed and recharged, ready to go. And this is a good theory, but it can fall apart in practice. First, I think the concept of only letting yourself relax once or twice a year in a big chunk is probably an inefficient and ineffective way to create white space in your life. Secondly, sometimes a family vacation can be more stressful than working. Third, some of us have a hard time disconnecting after being so tightly connected to our careers and endeavors. Have you ever noticed that you don't truly start to enjoy yourself on vacation until the third or fourth day? And how many of us go on vacation but stay tethered to work electronically? I mean, that really defeats the purpose. I propose creating white space in your life to sharpen your saw and recharge your batteries. I propose this is a daily challenge and a weekly challenge and it should be engineered into your life not once or twice a year in a big batch but continuously and how much white space is in your life is there any at all do you roll out of bed in the morning and attack task after task all day long until you fall back into bed at night do you measure your worth in terms of how many things you checked off your list during the day i propose that we come up with a strategy to insert that white space into our days. And what is white space for you? For me, it might be reading non-work-related stuff. It might actually be writing. It might be a run in the woods with my dog. It might be some form of quiet meditation for a few minutes. It might be spending time with my family or friends. Looking at this and thinking about this concept, I can see that the common thread is that these activities are non-directed. There's no goal in mind that drives the white space. It's my time. There's no deadline per se. There's no set requirement for an accomplishment. It's time spent outside my task list. This simple realignment of my focus for a short period of time allows the energy and creativity to, and pleasure to flow back into my world. By taking your foot off the accelerator, by removing your shoulder from the wheel, by taking your nose away from the grindstone, you create a new structural space for your intellect to stretch and relax. I have the tendency to co-op my white space by converting it into more goal-based activities. You know, that 30 minutes of reading for pleasure turns into 20 minutes of reading industry research instead for my job. And that easy run in the woods with the dog turns into a hard workout in preparation for a race. And that non-directed writing turns into an article or a blog post. I have to guard against that. And when you let your white space activity become task and goal-based, it no longer serves as a release. It no longer creates white space. It's just more of the same. When you design your white space into your weeks, don't co-opt those white spaces. Prioritize them. Some people I know like to watch TV or play video games or other forms of entertainment. I'm cautious here. I understand that everyone's brain is wired differently, but TV seems to be just another form of noise to me. Shouldn't white space be intellectually quiet? Isn't it the noise and the chaos that the white space is sanctuary from? 
Other people will say that they relax by drinking <laughs> or other forms of chemical or chimerical entertainment. That bothers me intellectually as well. I don't ever remember waking up rested and relaxed and free of worry from a bender. I don't think that qualifies as quiet time. If you have to self-medicate to find moments of peace in your life, you should probably be looking into that. It's unsustainable, and it adds to your deprivation in the long run. Well, what's the simple starting point here? Why don't we start by giving ourselves 20 minutes a day for white space? Even if you're only successful in defending that white space 50% of the time, it's probably still a win. I find white space fits well in the morning before the day unfolds and at night when the mind is weary. Maybe this is why so many people write, meditate, or exercise in the morning. Maybe this is why people read at night before they fall asleep. One of the advantages of my lifestyle is that it has natural white space interspersed in it. When I'm traveling on business, I have quiet time on airplanes and in hotel rooms, and I can create white space ad hoc throughout the week if I choose to. And it's always a choice, because I could choose to watch TV in that hotel room or choose to walk to the bar, and sometimes I do. My challenge to you and to myself is to create and find more white space in my life and our lives. To do this, I think we start with a goal. There I go again, of 20 minutes of white space a day. Our white space should have these qualities. It should be non-directed activity with no goal or deadline or quota. It should be quiet and without distraction. It should create peace in your intellect and not add to the chaos. It should be our time and no one else's. Will you join me this week, this month, in a pursuit of white space? Will you let me know how it works for you and what your challenges are? Maybe we can learn something here. Cheers. And now for today's featured interview. Akshay Nanavati. I've been kicking around your site and reading your message. I thought it was a pretty cool message. We met on Twitter. And it embodies a lot of the things that uh, I like to talk about, even though I'm an old guy and a fuddy-duddy. You're a, uh, a young guy, and you seem to have done a lot in your life, and your, and your current gig, like we were talking about before, seems to be convincing people or enabling people that they can, they can do more than they, than they think they can. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, the, in, in my, in my mm-hmm. line of work and just in my life experience, I always feel that people are... You know, that's why the, the, that's why the brand is sort of existing to living. The idea of stop existing and living that sort of mundane life and really living your life to the fullest. And often that means pushing your mind, body, heart, spirit, you know, heart and spirit beyond its limits. That's kind of what I, what I like to, uh, share with people. And, and I think that's a, that's a great sentence, right? Beyond their limits. Cause I think people limit themselves without knowing it or, or maybe without consciously limiting themselves. If you ask them what they could do, um, you always, they always tell you something very small, right? So, for example, people bump into me, and I'm not really one of those guys who go out and goes out and proselytizes among my, you know, my work and my community. But I'll bump into somebody and they'll say, well, what, what have you done? Well, you know, I've run Boston a couple times, and they'll say, wow, I could never run a marathon. <laughs> and it's like, of course you could, right? Anybody could. Exactly. So people set their own limits. That's really the thing that you have to break. It's not, 
enabling them that they can do it is it's helping them figure out that they can do it exactly and that's that's a really really good point chris and you know one of the one of the ways i do it is i study a lot of neuroscience in my work and how the brain works and really trying to understand the mind because that's obviously as you know you're a marathoner you know it's the mind that really pushes us more than the body and gets us these far distances and what it takes for that that is that blocks people in their mind and often people are just so limited they're not like you said, they're not even aware that they can do more. And I think just by, sh- I firmly believe that if one human being can do something, anybody can do something. <laughs> and that's really what I want people to see is that if you want to, whatever, maybe you don't have, it doesn't have to be running related, you know, for anybody, but just build a business, whatever you want to do. If you just <clears throat> consistently take action, you can produce the results. It's really nothing more than just putting one foot in front of the other. But the core of that is sort of a, um, a, a self-realization. Mm-hmm. And how do you, you know, you can give people the steps, you know, here's step one, step two, step three to anything, but most of them won't follow those steps because they, you need to start with the self-realization. How do you get people to the self-realization? I think it's a process. One of the, one of the things I, I always kind of teach with the people I work with is that, again, when I bring it back to neuroscience, is that people, we are not in control of what first shows up in our brain. So when we when we filled with the self doubt, with the fears, with uh, with the lack of self self esteem or lack of self confidence, the thing I always tell people is that to accept that, accept fear. You know, I heard many people say that fear is a bad thing and you should be fearless. I've read a book called Fearless or Be Fearless, and the idea of that to me is false. So that's the first step I what I teach people is one to accept the humanity that exists within all the self doubt, accept that that it's okay. And then from there, I work with them just to, just to see that, you know, one of the things I always ask the clients I work with, if money was an issue, what are you passionate about? And that may sound cliche, but it really is boiled down to nothing more than what would you like to do if, if you could money was an issue, if you could just make money. And it could be, it doesn't have to be running, you know, across the, uh, uh, the Sahara Desert or whatever it may be. You know, I just recently saw that documentary from Ray Zahab, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. And anyway, so it doesn't have to be something like that. It could be just, okay, I want to go live in a farm somewhere. So be it. So one is to accept the humanity that, you know, the, the fears and self-doubts and realize that is, that is beyond your control. That's, that's just shows up in our brain. The point of control we do have is what we do with it once it shows up. And that's the kind of regaining access. So one, in some ways, I, I always say free will is somewhat of a myth. You know, and that's, and I think that concept, just normalizing it to people, at least the ones when I share it with, seems to make a huge impact. They realize, you know what, then it's okay to have that. And okay, with that, now what can I do beyond it? Right. I think another, another thing where people fall, go astray, is that they assume that if they find the right path, there won't be any conflict or tension. And the exact opposite is true. If you're on the right path, you should have a tremendous amount of conflict and tension. Just it's it's a conflict and tension between where you are and where you want to be, as opposed to, you know, conflict with other people or conflict with your boss. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. No, exactly. And that's why failure is a part of the journey, right? I mean, that pain. I love Darren Hardy. He's the, uh, the publisher of Success Magazine, and he wrote The Compound Effect. In his book, he talks about how Essentially, he says something along the lines of success is hard work. It's boring, it's mundane, it's tedious, and it's painful. <laughs> but it's the compound effect of these small, mundane, tedious actions taken over time that leads to the results that we want. You know, so and I, I couldn't agree more that obstacles is a, totally a part of the journey, and it is it is boring. But I think embracing the mundane is one of the core lessons I always teach. Is is this idea of just embracing the mundane? You know, as a runner, sometimes it's just boring putting one foot in front of the other for hours and hours. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean I've I've uh, I'm coming up on Boston now, and I've run a marathon a month for the last uh, twelve months. Oh, wow. And I got to tell you, I am so sick of running. <laughs> I'm just broken and <laughs> and just 
sick I rutted. I would love nothing more than to go swim or bike. <laughs> but this is the other point, right? First is, the first point is, you know, don't expect it to be conflict or tension-free. It's just a different kind of tension. It's a creative tension. Yeah. Um, but the other point is, don't expect it to be easy. You'll also, you're, if you're on the right path, there's still a lot of work involved. Just that work's going to be much more effective, and it's going to be something you're passionate for. Exactly. I often, I often say, too, that the way you know you're heading on the right path is if at least at some point in the journey you ask yourself, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, that when I was in Greenland, I think I mentioned that to you before, to train for it, I had to drag tires around the streets of New Jersey, and that was even worse than running to me. It was miserable, boring, tedious. We're doing it for up to six, seven hours sometimes. And, I'm, and, you know, there was moments where I'm like, why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? And ultimately, those are the, those are the, those moments when I've done that are the greatest accomplishments I've ever had in my life. It's worth well, it. I think you hit on something there because in endurance sports, most of the perseverance and most of the success is in the training, not in the event. Exactly. So you're going to learn by sticking through the training. And I think that's probably what separates successful people from unsuccessful is the ability to to learn through that training process. Yeah, it's constantly preparing, constantly preparing and preparation, I think. Like you said, you know, it doesn't, I always share, when I wanted to do Across and Across Greenland, it, uh, I had the idea three years before I actually made it. So the journey didn't start when I set foot on the ice cap. The journey started three years before that, you know, and it's the constant preparation that the consistency, I think, is the key word. The consistent action leads to what whatever, whatever results you want to produce, the summits, the ice cap crossings, the marathons, everything, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's not something that you're going to show up and do. It's the culmination of your lifetime of work. Exactly. So let's back up a little bit. I, I gave you a short shrift here on the introduction, Akshay. So, you know, give us the 200 words uh, on who you are and what you're doing. Sure, yeah. So a little bit about me. Uh, I'm a Marine Corps veteran of the war in Iraq. And the Marines is kind of how I got first into this idea of pushing myself physically and mentally and uh, spiritually. Because before that, as I mentioned to you, I was, uh, was involved in a life of drugs. Two friends who began that journey with me are no longer alive today, so we were pretty heavily immersed in that world. The Marines is how I got out of that world, and then I found more pa- positive ways to channel that energy. So since then, I've you know climbed mountains all over the world, skydive, scuba dive, ice diving, cave diving—you name it. Almost every outdoor adventure you can think of. Uh, you know, I've pushed myself in those ways to really explore my own limits. And now I run that. I run a business. I have my own business. That's what allows me to do things like travel across the world, run, running from country to country. And work from anywhere. So I have my own business at existingtoliving.com, and I share the, my own passion for adventure and help other people find their own adventures in life. Yeah, I, I was on your side. I watched your video. Excellent presentation skills. You come across very authentic in that video. Okay. Very authentic. But I was I was cracking up because I, I know you've heard this before, and I apologize. I was like, this is a cross between Aziz Ansari and Tony Robbins. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> But it's lifestyle design, right? So you know what you want to do. You know what you're passionate about. So you've designed a business that allows you to do that. Exactly, exactly. One of the keys to me, you know, I actually had a corporate job for a year and a half. And I quit uh, right before I left for Greenland. Knowing that I, knowing that Greenland was coming up, I knew that this was the day. So two weeks before Greenland, I called my boss, quit, put in my two weeks and left for the ice cap. And knowing that, you know, coming back, that I would not want to get a job again. I would want to work for myself. And again, that was, again, a struggle. You know, it was a struggle building that business up to the point that now allows me to work from anywhere. and allows me to, uh, I just got back from my run across Singapore. I literally got in yesterday, as you know. So, <laughs> but I work, I, my business allows me to go travel whenever I want. So, yeah, that, that was always a goal to, to have that. 
So you're running across every country or continent? Every country is the plan, and uh, an ambitious one. I, I <laughs> and it'll take me about probably at least 15, 20 years to do this. So, but that's the plan is to cross every country. Yeah, because there's uh, countries come and go. There's lots of little ones. Yeah, and some of them are fairly dangerous. That's the biggest obstacle I see to actually accomplishing this goal is not the, you know, some countries are big, so it's not the physical challenge or the terrain in these countries, because those are ultimately overcome by preparation and, you know, just my mind, as we've been talking about. But the biggest challenge is the is the political instability in some countries. And those are the ones I'm concerned, because obviously I don't want to get shot while running across the country. <laughs> and being a Marine Corps veteran, that makes me even more of a target in certain countries. So those are, that's the only obstacle. But the way I see it is that what I enjoy about, you know, even setting this intention for myself is the uncertainty. If I knew I would, I could easily make it across the countries, it wouldn't be worth even setting the intention, you know? So the challenges are, of course, there. And I figure there's plenty of countries that I can start running across before I even get to the ones that I have to worry about, worry about my, you know, my life being uh, taken. So it, it'll take me a little while before I start crossing the, you know, the Irans and Afghanistans and Syrias and some of those kind of countries that <laughs> will present political challenges more than just the physical one. Yeah, who was I reading? One of the guys, that maybe it was Tim Ferriss, has visited every country or something. There was somebody, or, or maybe it was Shankman. So one of the one of the uh, the social media guys has visited every country in the world, and he's like thirty. You know, I think it's Chris so. Bilbo. Much. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's who it is. Yeah. I, I was in the ballpark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> same kind of the same kind of exactly same business model online with the same, what those guys do. So yeah, I actually follow his blog too, and he's somebody I'd like to actually get a some sense of how he visited some of the more politically unstable countries. Right. Yeah. So that's that's pretty good. Um, so wh- why are you doing this? Why 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 run across these countries? So as I mentioned, you know, since the Marines, I uh, got into pushing myself outdoors, and I love being in nature. And one of the, my big passion was polar exploration and mountain climbing. But my problem is that <laughs> if I'm not in the mountains, I find it harder to train for mountaineering. So ultimately, like in the sense that, you know, if, if I'm not, if I'm not, then it's harder for me, at least mentally, for do out for a run when I'm not in the mountains. So I figured there was something I wanted to do that would inspire me to get out running every single day. And what more could be than just running across every country in the world? So ultimately, there's also the, the fact that I guess I'm lazy <laughs> and I needed a way to inspire myself. That's why I go on expeditions because it keeps me fit. So, and that, so one is just inspires myself. Two, I love traveling. I love engaging with new people across the world and seeing new cultures, seeing new places. So far, even just in my life so far, I've been to over 45 countries in six continents and I'm kind of been bit by the travel bug. So I thought, you know, there's no better way to see a country than actually be on the ground, be, you know, cross it on foot as opposed to drive through it or, fly across it. This is a way to really immerse myself in a land and its peoples. So that's the, that's the big inspiration is also just seeing the world, connecting the global community, the human family, as I like to call it, showing how similar we all are, no matter what our background or nationality or religion is. And of course, then there's just pushing myself, pushing myself physically and mentally, another way to challenge myself and discover new limits. Yeah, and, and you're, you're right. Um, on foot is the best way to, uh, to explore even when I travel in the States, you know, I've had some of my best epiphanies just going out in the morning from a hotel and running the back streets of, uh, of a city, right? Because yeah. you get the smells, you get the air, you get all the stuff, and you get to go places that people might not want to go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I'm with you. It's the best way to explore a city. It really is. And it's, it's, I mean, it's something even when I set this goal, at one point I was thinking of potentially, you know, allowing myself the uh, biking across the country, but then I decided not. I want to take it slow. With, you know, running is obviously a little slower than biking would be, but uh, 
we just really take it slow and enjoy the enjoy the sights, sounds, and uh, and all the pain that will come in with the uh, with the with this expedition as well. <laughs> so when you go out, are you uh, running every day? Are you taking a certain uh, pace across these countries? My my intention is, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a very fast runner. As I said, if anything, I'm by there's so many runners out there who are far more qualified than me to do something like this. But I just like going for, you know going long. So I go pretty slowly into my trainings. I generally train with, you know, with the heart rate model, like he's going to stay in zone two training. I'll do yeah. interval training maybe once or twice a week at the most, but I keep it slow and I have no, I have no pace that I'm necessarily wanting to hit. The only sort of rule that I've set for myself is I don't want to spend more than three months tops at the most for, you know, but more than three months really away from my wife and my soon to be family. So setting that criteria will obviously involve having a certain pace on, you know, on some of the bigger countries like America, China, Russia, Australia. So inevitably I would need to run in order to successfully hit my own criteria of keep, you know, not being away from my family for more than three months, approximately two marathons a day for months on end is the way I see it. And if I, yeah. if I can pace myself enough, whether it takes 10 or 12 hours to run two marathons a day, so be it, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, a, a, a 12 hour pace on a 50 mile a day is not a bad, um, not a bad pace. That's still a lot of work. Yeah. So, so. And that's kind of what I'm building up to. And even if it takes more, even when I, for example, when I ran Singapore, that was 33 miles and I wasn't very fast. I was actually supposed to do it four months from today. So again, I wasn't as prepared as I probably should have been or would have liked to have been. So I think it took me about nine, 10 hours. So I wasn't very fast at all, but I finished and ultimately that's what I'm happy about, you know? So yeah, you get, you got to start out with the small countries, right? Right now, starting off with some of the smaller ones to build up my own endurance. Cause I only recently came up with this idea to cross every country. And since I've come up with it, I've been super inspired. So I have four countries I'm doing in, uh, in June. I'm going to the Caribbean and crossing some of the four, four islands. They're all about an average of a marathon. So I'm basically going to run a marathon across the country, island hop to the next one, run another marathon and do four of these and then come back home in July. I'm planning Ireland, which is 150 miles. So that one will it'll be sort of a multi-day expedition to do the 150-mile trip across. The yeah, I, and what I found doing even just a little bit that I was doing but this year, uh, the logistics is kind of the hardest part, right? It certainly is. It certainly is. I mean, the, for the for the one-day trips, it's not obviously not an issue, but for the multi-day mm-hmm. trips, it's going to be an issue organizing logistics. And I'm going to be seeking the help of some runners I know that have done this uh, before. And uh, I've, you know, I, I know I've actually seen you interviewed Ray Zahab. He's somebody I really admire. He's a runner who's kind of inspired me to really get into the sport as well. And uh, him, Rich Roll, some of the other ones. So I'll be talking to them and getting their input as much as possible. Who I'm sure they'll be open to help how they organize the logistics. But that's going to be the challenge: is getting sort of vehicle support on some of these bigger countries that are multi-day countries, and you know, getting your nutrition, getting your food, getting a physical therapist on board for some of the bigger ones in case you know something goes wrong. And all of that is going to be definitely present some challenges. Yeah, and what I found just the you know you have to travel someplace and do an event and then travel back and mix it in with work and family, you know it gets very tightly scheduled very quickly. And if you slip a day or slip an hour someplace due to a problem, everything starts to unravel and get very stressful very quickly. Exactly, exactly. That was the same thing that happened in Greenland. You know, I mean, in Greenland on the very last day of our trip, we were stuck in a I think a thirty-six hour storm. And had we missed that one day, had, had, had the storm not died, and we would have to stay one extra day, even a few extra hours, it would have, it would have, we would have essentially meant that we've missed all our helicopter flights out, and it would have been a logistical nightmare to get out of it. So, so, and that was, you know, a situation that was in some ways beyond our control because you don't want to be out in a storm. Those storms can be pretty severe. In fact, somebody died last year in one of those storms in Greenland. So, so yeah, like you said, logistically, you really have to plan it to the T and 
and just almost sometimes just hope for the best when you're in some of the hostile, very hostile environments like like Greenland. Yeah, I think if I had any advice for anybody who was trying to do these sort of things or anything like these sort of things, you know, on paper it looks like a great plan to like parachute in at midnight the night before, <laughs> do the event, you know, run to the airport, parachute out. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's just a bad plan. <laughs> Leave some slack in there would be my advice. Do some contingency planning. Exactly. Totally, totally. Even in Greenland, you know, we had we had extra days of food just in case you're stuck in storms. We were totally stuck in storms for uh, five days, and so good thing we had all that extra food, you know. So <laughs> you definitely, definitely be prepared for the worst. Right. So I mean, you say you've got a, a young family. Um, how's that work in this? Then does she want to go with you? <laughs> My wife has no desire to run uh, run these distances. She's actually now inspired too. She's she wants to do a first half marathon this year. So I'm really excited for her. We're gonna you know get a help her train, but she has no desire to do it to this to this extent. And you know she wouldn't. She has no desire to also join me on ice cap or anything. But she is very supportive of me. And ultimately, without that, this would never never work. So this sort of three month criteria is something we both agreed upon. Uh, before we even got married, you know, I mean, when I got married, I left for Greenland four months after we got married. So, so she's been very patient with me <laughs> to leave for an ice cap for a month, you know, right after we're newlyweds. But she is very supportive as well, and that's how ultimately how we make it happen. And we are, so we want, we're looking to start a family this year as well. So it's going to have, you know, that's going to present with new challenges, I'm sure, because everybody tells me once you get kids, your life is over. I'm hoping that's not the case. <laughs> well, it's different. That's all. So, yeah. So the, yeah, I mean. It's something else. That would be another tip for people who want to do something epic, right, is that you got to check with your support system first and come up with those sort of tacit agreements that, you know, here's here's the deal. Here's what I'm going to do. And you'd be surprised because if this is something that you haven't been doing as a lifestyle, if this is a change for you, you're going to get a lot of resistance. Yeah. No. People are like antibodies. You know, they don't like anybody going outside the norm. <laughs> exactly. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And you're right. You know, this is something that my wife and me said. She knew this from day one. It's not like we got married and suddenly I'm like, hey, guess what I like to do, you know? So <laughs> so she knew all about me from day one. And it's quite, you know, it's something we've said. And even if it's something you haven't said and you want to start doing it, it's all about just enrolling. It's an enrollment conversation, enrolling your support system, your husband, wife, kids, just, you know, all your family, those who you love. And getting them on board with your passion, your journey, and letting them see that this is who you are, you know? My wife would never stop me because she knows this is who I am. And if I don't do this, I'm not the person she married, you know? And likewise with whatever she wants to do. So she has her own passion she's following. So it's never it's never set up in the, in the way that she's waiting for me. Because if she was just waiting for me, this would never work, you know? She's doing her thing, and she's fully she loves what she's doing, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm doing mine. And we support each other in every way we can through it. You're absolutely right there. I remember when I first started working um, and I was in consulting, I spent a lot of time on the road. And the guys who had wives that were stay-at-home wives with nothing to do, those were the worst. You know, they just made them crazy. Yeah. But uh, if they had their own uh, passions and their own career, then it was a good partnership. Exactly. So you're doing these big things, right? And as part of your, your training for people, you know, what you're trying to get people, you're trying to enable them to do their passions, to do these big things. Uh, you know, at what point, like I said, you can lay out for people, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. But a lot of times people, by taking incremental steps, they can't achieve enough escape velocity to actually make a difference in their lives. And what I say sometimes is instead of doing that, just do something really big that scares the hell out of you. Yeah. And that'll break everything else. Yeah, I fully, I fully agree with you. You know, it's a, a, the idea of interrupting that pattern and just going big. 
for at least one sitting. So one thing I always like to do to do to to encourage this and the people I work with is is through phys- physical endeavor because physical endeavor, you know, exercise whether it's training for half marathon, whatever it may be, is the one way that I always that I always see is to unite those four elements of the human experience: the body, the mind, the heart, and the spirit. When you push yourself physically, it really has a combination of all four of those. Whereas when you push yourself in any one of the other three, it doesn't really incorporate all four. So one thing I always tell my clients exactly what you're saying, do to go, get out there and do something audacious. So if you've never run 10K before, go out there and run 10K. And if, you, if you're comfortable with 10K, go out and run 20. So just push yourself physically. It could be swimming, biking, running, whatever form. But push yourself physically in a way that's beyond your comfort zone. And when you do that, you know, when I ran across Singapore 33 miles, that was the longest distance I've ever run in my life to that point. And, uh, and knowing that I successfully made it has built, again, more confidence that I can do the next one. So pushing yourself, going big something, you know, just doing something big and audacious, it builds confidence. Yeah, it's, it's very freeing because it breaks the old frame of reference. Exactly, exactly. And I once heard somebody say that self-confidence is the result of successfully having survived a risk. So when you take a risk that you're not, you know, way outside your comfort zone, that confidence gives you the means to keep pushing through in all other areas of your life, especially like like you said, when it's tedious and when it's mundane and it's you know obstacles come up. So one of the things you do with your students and your you know the people you work with is you try to give them a step by step. You know, here's your roadmap: do step one, do step two, do step three. And I'm going to challenge you because I think you and I and and a lot of other successful people in the world, if we can call ourselves successful, did not get to where we are by going in a straight line. I think we went in a squiggly line, as they say. That is very, very, very true. <laughs> it's almost like what I call it, the entrepreneurial burden. You know, so many ideas floating around the head. Things come up. You have failures. You have struggles. And suddenly, you know, you, you have successes. So I agree. It is it is sort <clears throat> of, uh, uh, like you said, a squiggly line that, that has its ups and downs. And ultimately, you know, what we, what we try to do, what I at least even do in my own life, is I like to set a path with a somewhat of an end in mind. And then... You know, be open to be open to the spontaneity of where life can take me. Yeah. You know, and that's what I guess I like to encourage as well is what what I do and well people that I work with is set you know set an intention, and let's work backwards from that intention. And when things inevitably go out of, out out of whack, which they will, <laughs> kind of you know have that even that frame of reference in mind, we adapt. You know, so I always say burn your boats, don't set a plan B, have your plan A, aim for it, go give it your all. And when plan A experience when there's bumps and you know that you see failures on the way to plan A, adapt to a plan C. You know. So <laughs> that's kind of how the model I try to follow in my own life and with people I work with as well. Right, but you, but, but the point being, you'd never end up where you are unless you took those first steps in the wrong direction or a different direction. Yeah. And and then had to pivot halfway down. Exactly. Exactly. Be willing to go through those ups and downs. And again, to bring it full circle, that brings it right back to the to the uh, to the positive tension and the positive conflict, right? By getting out there, by by walking out on the ice. Uh, you're creating that positive tension and positive conflict that's going to force you to come up with the right solution. Exactly. And that's the idea of, again, burning your boats, you know. When I was in Greenland, the, the only way out of the ice cap, let's say, had I wanted out, and, I, and you know, outside of experiencing a serious injury, in which case they would have evacuated me, was to call a helicopter to, to get me out. And that would have cost $20,000. I didn't have $20,000 to afford <laughs> a helicopter on my way out of there at that time. So the only way out was to get to the other end of the ice cap. And that was that was freeing. That was, you know, burn your boats. It was <laughs> it was uh, it was a really beautiful part of the journey is that. And that's the same thing. I like to approach my business and this this expedition as well is that. One way or the other, I'm going to do it, you know, and uh, however it happens, if it, if, you know, we'll cross each step as a, each obstacle as it comes up. Yeah. And you don't necessarily have to do that outside your 
you know, you can take incremental steps. So if you like your job, you can go and try new things with uh, within your current. You know, you don't have to divorce your wife and quit your job. You can try new things within that as well. And you know, they should value that. People should value that. If they don't, then maybe you're in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. It's always about having that support structure, having a team. You know, one of the things I always um, encourage people I work with to get into mastermind groups or have daily accountability calls, some structure to keep you going when obstacles come up and when, when you have those down moments. And me, yeah. I have a buddy that I call every single day and we check in. We uh, say, okay, what are your things you want to get done today? And, you know, and we support each other and hold each other accountable on a daily basis. Yep. All right, this has all been very fascinating. We could talk for hours, Akshay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to let you go. Give us your uh, your links and your, anything else you want to uh, you want to pitch to folks. Sure, my website is existingtoliving.com. That's the word existing with the number two and living.com. Existingtoliving.com. You can find out more about what I do there. I offer some you know some free stuff if you sign up, and uh, that, that's just as well as you can track. That's where I'm going to be kind of showing a little bit more about my journey across every country in the world. You can track where I'm at. As I said, I have 10 more countries that I'm running this year, so you can follow along with the whole journey on there. All right. Good stuff. All right. Thanks for the chat this morning. Thank you. Go get, go get some rest. <laughs> I plan on, yep. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. All right. Bye-bye. Hitch up your tights, because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. Optimization of food time. Sunday, food prep. Batch salads and post-workout recovery berry smoothies. Now, salads are good for you. But salads are a pain in the ass. They take forever to make. They take forever to eat. And I don't know about you, but they get all over the place when you try to eat them with a fork. But they're good for you. What's up with that? It's like a challenge from a higher force. Hey, I'm going to make food that's good for you, but really, really inconvenient. You good with that? You can buy salad, but frankly, 99 out of 100 salads in restaurants suck. They're a handful of wilted romaine lettuce covered with cheese croutons and dressing. Or they use the popular mini field greens that really don't have enough oomph to satisfy my needs. I want a big salad. I want it to have lots of different vegetables in it. I want to be able to eat it when I want to eat it without having to prepare it first. So how do I overcome these hurdles? Well, here's what I do. I think in terms of optimization and efficiency. I want what I want, when I want it, and I want to minimize the amount of time I have to spend in preparation. To this end, I make my salads in big batches on the weekend and I package them up into single-use containers to deploy as needed during the week. Start with the biggest bowl you have because we're going to make as big a batch of salad as we can. The base of my salad is kale. I like all kinds of kale. I'll use eight to nine kale leaves washed and deboned with a sharp chef's knife. I chiffonade the cleaned leaves into tiny shreds. I put those into the big bowl. On top of the kale shreds, I do the same with a head of lettuce. On top of this bed of greens, I throw on finely chopped bell peppers, mushrooms, cucumbers, broccoli, tomatoes, carrots, celery, cabbage, whatever veggies I have, whatever veggies you like, until the giant bowl is full. And the key here is to chop all the veggies very small. 
This maximizes the amount of veggies you can fit in a container. It makes it easier to pack into containers. It soaks up the dressing better, and it makes it easier to eat. How often have you tried to eat a salad with giant lettuce leaves and had those big floppy leaves fall off the fork and ruin a perfectly good $60 shirt? Hmm? I know. That's why you want to chop it up really small. While you're preparing the salad, and if you're using carrots and celery, you can peel and clean extra to put in plastic bags for snacking. Extra credit veggies for the week. When I'm done, I'll mix up all these shredded veggies thoroughly in the big bowl and move them into stackable plastic containers. I'll get three or four of these containers, which are a good-sized meal for me. These containerized salads will last several days, up to a week. During the week, I can grab one of these containers out of the fridge in the morning and take it with me. I'll dash in some of my homemade balsamic vinaigrette and shake it up. This is the point where if you want to add nuts or meat or eggs or avocado to your salad, you can throw it in as you're packing. Just toss this container in the fridge at work and you've got yourself a convenient, healthy, fast meal anytime you want. And I recommend putting a rubber band around the container to prevent it from exploding apart in your car, but that's another story. I tend to use the disposable containers that we get from the market when we buy, I don't know, potato salad or something. And this means I can throw one in my bag for a plane ride or a trip and just abandon the container when I'm done. This whole process takes maybe an hour on a weekend day after my chores on a Saturday or a Sunday. When no one else is competing for the kitchen, I set up my production line. I don't know how much time it saves me by bashing it up like this, but it certainly makes it more likely that I'll eat a salad during the week. I'll put on some podcasts and listen to them while I'm doing my chores over the weekend, and this is no different. It's a very efficient use of time that pays off inconvenience and speed and, frankly, better decision-making during the week. Next topic, fruit and vegetable smoothies for post-workout. The second thing that I batch up on the weekends is a mixed fruit veggie berry smoothie. I use these for post-workout because they have lots of good antioxidants and some protein in them. I have never liked store-bought vegetable juice like B8. My concoction is much sweeter, much better, and it's awesome after a hard workout. I don't have any special equipment. I have an old Osterizer blender that I think we got as a wedding present 30 years ago. It's so old, it was probably even made in the United States. It's got a glass blender pitcher. That holds about 1.5 liters, which conveniently, with easy math, translates to three 500 milliliter bottles. I put in some almond milk as the base, and on top of that I throw in a couple of kale leaves, one medium-sized red beet. I cut them up to make the blender's job easier. And on top of this, I throw in a couple of cups of berries, fresh or frozen blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, whatever I can get. On top of this, I will slice up whatever fruit I have laying around. Grapes work great because they have a lot of water in them. I'll also use apples, peaches, nectarines, citrus, whatever I can find. I typically don't use bananas or avocados because they make the slurry very, very thick. Some good news here is that the fruit doesn't even need to be fresh. If you've got stuff that is starting to turn, start to over-ripen, it works great in a smoothie. 
You can even slice up the overripe fruit and stick it in the freezer until you're ready to use it in your smoothie. If your market, like mine, sells soon-to-pass fruit at drastically reduced prices, well, there you go. That's awesome stuff for smoothies. There is no set recipe. I use whatever is available. I try not to put in too much of one thing or it will overbalance, overpower the flavor. Uh, You have to experiment with the fruits and berries you like. The deep-colored slurry that you end up with is chock full of colorful antioxidants and doesn't taste too horrid if you serve it cold. Now for extra credit stuff that I throw in as well. I put in a tablespoon or so of chia seeds. I put in a tablespoon or so of flaxseed meal. I put in some powdered cinnamon. I put a heaping teaspoon of baking coca in sometimes. You can use cocoa nibs if you have them. I will also slice up some ginger root as well. Now all you have to do is slap the cover on, hit liquefy, and let it scream for a few minutes until the smoothie is formed. All the chunks should be gone when it's done. It will be a thick, colorful, and sweet slurry. If it's too thick, you can add some more water. Then I pour the slurry into three 500-milliliter plastic bottles and toss them in the fridge. Now I can just swing by the fridge, toss one into my gym bag on my way to my workout. It's convenient, healthy, and a healing concoction at the end of a workout. It's better than any processed crap you'll get out of the cooler at the convenience store. And there you have it. There's two ways to optimize your food, to use the weekend time that you have to prepare healthy food for you to use conveniently during the week. I hope that was useful. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. It's interesting to talk to a chap like Akshay, who is obviously on the front end of many adventures. I think he's doing it as much from an inner restlessness as he is for uh, some sort of success strategy. It's so common, especially among young people, to have this inner restlessness, this sense that this can't be it. There must be something more. And I think the wrong thing is to tell them to get in line, suck it up, deal with it. How many times have you heard some crotchety old guy like me say, life is hard, deal with it? I mean, life has its hard points for sure, but how you deal with it, that's the rub. Akshay has figured out how to deal with the restlessness, chaos, and hardness of life by setting himself on these epic journeys, this path. And he doesn't know where he's going, but he's smart enough to get out and get moving and figure it out as he goes. When your boats are burned, you have to learn. You have to learn fast sometimes. Remember what I said, there's always going to be conflict, but there's good conflict. There's constructive conflict. The creative tension should be between what is and what is possible. That is constructive discomfort. It forces you away from where you are towards something else. And if you're uncomfortable with something, whether at work or in your family or in a social setting, then there's there's probably a reason. There's conflict there. So if you're a Canadian, you can internalize that conflict and act passive-aggressively. Or if you're from New York, you can tell everyone how you feel loudly and frankly and why. 
Just kidding. But regardless of what the appropriate cultural response is, if you have conflict, don't run away from it. Turn it over in your mind and figure out where is that tension coming from and how can it be made constructive. If you feel tension or restlessness, then there is a disconnect between your expectations and reality and you need to figure out how to close that gap. So instead of recoiling, move towards the tension, leverage that tension to learn and to grow, help others do likewise, and all of us will be better off. So I was able to weasel an entry into the Eastern States 20-miler at the end of March. It's funny how all the fringe races I've historically done are now selling out. This this will give me one last qualifying long run before Boston if I can stay healthy and run it. A couple of notes for those of you who may have not been paying attention. I'm running Boston for the Liver Foundation this year and would appreciate anything you can do to help. I put the donate link in the show notes. I also have a couple books that I have compiled over the years from all these interesting thoughts flitting about in my unsettled mind. And you can get them, physical ebook or audio, at my site, runrunlive.com. And also one last note, I do have a Run Run Live group on Facebook that I have never given much love to. But I think uh, I post all the shows and the articles there and would love to see some conversation around some of these topics we mull over. So if you're a Facebooky person, just search for the Run Run Live group and I'll add you and I'll see you out there. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. And most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. You can find it there. And it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff. And let me know if I can help. Ciao. I'm up, I'm up, I'm up.